to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today is New Year's Eve, and tomorrow is New Year's Day. The end of one year, the beginning of another, but in every reality, it's just another day. But it isn't mentally, and sometimes emotionally, and other things, because our whole calendar system, our whole fiscal system, so many things are based on a year, the ending and beginning of one, and I think that probably most of us find ourselves, whether we want to or not, falling into that same mindset of, I'm coming to the end of something and the beginning of something else. Many people say, well, you know what, this is a really good time to kind of do some introspection, you know, look at my life, look at who I am and who I want to be, where I've been, where I'm going, what do I need to do to get to where I want to go, what do I need to do to become who I want to be. And to accomplish my goals and maybe set new goals. And a lot of people used to make New Year's resolutions. Those have become a lot less popular. Um, I've found in the people I talk to, people say, I don't even do it anymore. And we all know why. Because we only keep them for a week and then they're done. But it's still a good time to think about those things. And I want us to do that this morning by taking a look at God's Word. And we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2 verses 11 to 14, in just a moment. And I want us to look back. I want us to look inside. I want us to look forward, past, present, future. But within the framework of the grace of God. That's the title of what I want to share with you today. It's the focus of the passage we're going to be reading. It is the grace of God. How many of you are thankful for God's grace? Amen. Do you know what God's grace is? Not quite as strong, but you're probably saying, I think so. Is this a trick question? It's not a trick question. The word grace and associated with God, God's grace means God's favor to us when we don't deserve it. Now, if we get caught up in pride, we get caught up in all the good things that we do or the good things we feel about ourselves, we say, well, I might deserve a little bit. To be honest, we don't deserve anything from God because of our sin and our rebellion against him. Before we knew him and even since then, we sometimes struggle with that. We don't deserve anything from God, but God so gracelessly loves us and provided for our salvation, and not only that, but pours so much blessings into our lives. And today I want to talk about God's grace, his favor to us when we don't deserve it. A real simple definition of grace is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Let's take a look at our passage in Titus chapter 2. We're going to read the whole thing beginning to end, starting in verse 11. Paul writes Titus, and he's been writing about a lot of different things. Titus is pastoring a church on Crete, and Paul's giving him instructions on how to pastor well, how to set up leaders, how to deal with problems, how to encourage the people. And he says all these things are because of what he's going to say right now, some very important theological truth. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're going to take a look at this passage from three perspectives. God's grace in the past, God's grace in the present, and God's grace for the future. So first of all, let's take a look at God's grace in the past. And I would say this, because of God's grace, we should look back in appreciation. Because of God's grace, we should look back in appreciation. If you haven't already done so, you probably will and you certainly could if you did a search for it. But just about every organization, news, uh, media, outlet or whatever is, has been or will be putting out a 2023 year in review. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we kind of do that in our own minds. 2023, as I look back over this last year because I'm wrapping it all up. You know, what did I experience? What's, what's going on? We see this in our secular world. We see it in the spiritual world. We do it personally. And as we look back, we see good and hopefully a lot of good. And we see bad, or at least things that we would characterize as bad. Difficulties, struggles, issues, problems that we've had to wrestle with. Hopefully your good has greatly outweighed the bad. But as we look back, we could think of so many things to be thankful for because of God's grace. I just want to encourage you to just take a short 30 seconds and start going through your own. What is it that I have to be thankful for of God's grace in my life over this last year? Perhaps it's been the provision of a financial need that you weren't sure what was going to happen. Perhaps you got a new job. Perhaps you did better in your job or in your workplace. Perhaps he took care of a problem. Perhaps you did better in school than you thought you would. Perhaps he brought some new relationships into your life that have been a real blessing. You know, there's so many things I'm thankful for personally because God has been so good to me. God has been so good to me. And I know we talked about this a lot around Thanksgiving But God's grace. And in this passage, it mentions the number one thing that we have to be thankful for in the past from God's grace. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Of all the wonderful things that God does for us, of all the many blessings he might pour into our lives, the greatest one is the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross so we can be saved from our sins and have a relationship with God. Thank God for his grace. To be honest, realistically and biblically, all God had to do was reject us because we had rejected him. We all deserve hell. We all deserve eternal punishment, but God loved us so much. So Paul starts this out, this first verse, with the grace of God bringing salvation through all people. It doesn't say it in this part. It'll say it toward the end that it came through Jesus Christ. But even though it says he brought salvation for all people, what that means doesn't, what that doesn't mean is that everybody's just automatically going to go to heaven. 
that everybody automatically is saved, that everybody automatically has a good relationship with God. I mean, you know that yourself from your own personal experience from before you had a relationship with God. But it's available to everyone. The Bible makes it very clear. God doesn't want anyone to perish without salvation, without forgiveness of sins, without a relationship with him. But he loves us so much that he gives us free will. That's how the problem came into the world to begin with. He gave Adam and Eve free will. And even though they had a perfect relationship with God, they still chose to do their own thing, to rebel against God and the goodness that he wanted to put in their lives. And it brought sin into this world. We've all had to deal with it since. But God's grace... God's grace made it possible that we can be saved from our sins. Salvation is offered to everyone, but every person must choose to accept or reject this gracious offer. I know I share it almost every single Sunday, and I will continue to do that. For those who perhaps have not heard the message, or God just wants to use it to really emphasize it to their lives that day. But the Bible makes it very clear that we are all born sinners. Each of us are sinners. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to this earth, and we just celebrated his birth last week, but he was born to die. He came, God himself became man, lived the perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve. And in God's plan and purposes, his death paid the price for sin. For those who would choose to turn to him, put their faith in him, repent of their sins, and surrender their lives to him. In fact, Paul writes in another letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that this all goes back to God's grace, which is what we're talking about today. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so I would just challenge each and every one of you today, those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online, or if you're watching or listening to this later, if you have not accepted that gift by repenting of your sins, putting your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and surrendering your life to him, I encourage you to do that. But for those of us that have done that, thank God for his grace. We look back in appreciation because of God's grace. But once we've experienced God's grace in our lives, once we have come to him and and admitted our sinfulness and asked him to forgive us and, and put our trust in him, what do we do next? Do we just continue to live as we've always lived? Do we just continue in our sin? Do we just say, oh, God's got it taken care of. Now I can do whatever I want. Whenever I check out of this life, I'm good to go. And some people live that way, but that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that once we've made that choice and that decision, life should change. And that leads us to the second part that I want us to look at today. Because of God's grace, we should look inward in commitment. And as we should look at our own lives and say, okay, now that I know Christ, or maybe I've come to know Christ recently, or maybe I've known Christ for 30 years. In my case, 54, 53 years. Am I living the life that he has for me? Because 
God has a plan and purpose not just to save us, but to change us and to use us and to do great things in us and through us. And it was sin that messed everything up. So God's got a plan to get that out of our lives so it won't keep messing us up. Although we still struggle with it, don't we? I won't ask for any testimonies and raise hands, but how many of you struggle with some kind of sin this last week? You know, everybody be putting their hands up if we're honest. Okay? But because of God's grace, we can have victory over sin. And we should be concerned about that. We should be looking at our lives, and it's something we should do on a regular basis. But again, this is a good time to do this. Am I the person that God has called me to be at this point in time in my life? As I look back over the last year, have I made some progress in my walk with the Lord? Have I made some progress in becoming that man of God, that woman of God that he has called and created me to be? Have I made progress in my relationships? Have I made progress, you know, the different areas of life? And this deals primarily with the present. I said the previous one kind of has to do with the past. It's God's grace in the past. This is the present because we can't change the past. And the future is still out in front of us. But we can do something about the future. So as we look at the next verse in this passage, verse 12, it says the grace of God's appeared to bring salvation. In verse 12, it says that the grace of God is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You know, we could do a Bible study on each one of those words, and we're not going to do that this morning. Just need to kind of do an overview here. But we hear talk about saving grace. Thank God for saving grace. God's grace that saves us from our sin. But this passage talks about there's not only saving grace, but there's training grace. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that because of God's grace, he wants us to go into training. We've all perhaps participated in some kind of training along the way. Athletic training, musical training, educational training. We go into this system where we make changes because we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to develop. And that's true spiritually speaking too. God's grace is there not just to save us, but to change us. He's got quite a list here of things, not as long as some of his other lists. But the point is is that when we've experienced God's grace, we're not only saved, but our lives are changed. And not just changed like a one-time event change. That is true, but they are changing, or at least they should be changing. Paul says that we're a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And there's a truth all through God's word that if our lives aren't changing, then we may not have experienced God's grace or we're not experiencing as we should day by day by day because his grace is available to change us, to get rid of the junk, to bring in all the good stuff. And and there's two parts to this. There's a negative side and there's a positive side. And Paul loves to write about this. And he uses different pictures to describe or to illustrate what's going on. 
He talks about putting things off and putting things on, sort of like changing clothes. You know, you get all dirty, sweaty, you're working real hard, and it's time to get cleaned up. So you take off those old, dirty clothes, you get yourself dry, and you put on new clothes. And he actually uses those words. He says, put off this and put on that. I mentioned some of his lists. Some of his lists are pretty long of things we should put off and put on, especially in Ephesians and a couple of other places. But then there are things that we need to put on. In Galatians, he talks about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Those things in our lives that are still part of that sinful nature, that fleshly nature that we need to get rid of. But yet God's Spirit would like to bring fruit into our lives. And I'm not talking about apples and oranges and grapes. But those character traits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control is just kind of a short list. And so he says we are in the midst of changing, or we should be, and God's grace is available for that. The negative side of it, we commit to leave the old life. We commit to leave the old life. In this passage it says to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's the English Standard Version. The NIV says to say no to these things. I like that, to say no. Sometimes we just need to tell ourselves no. We love to tell ourselves yes. But when we're getting ready to say those words, we need to tell ourselves no. When we're getting ready to go that place on the internet, we need to tell ourselves no. When we're getting ready to, you can just fill in the blank. There are certain things we need to say no to. And God's grace will help us to do that. There's not a lot of emphasis on that today. People like to focus on the positive. They like to focus on the, 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 the feel good. And, and I'm so glad the gospel is good news. It's full of positive. It's full of feel good. It's full of all the wonderful things God wants to do in our lives. But you know, you can't receive and accept and experience the fullness of God's goodness until you get rid of the junk. Until you get rid of the junk. He mentions here ungodliness. That's just anything that's against God or tries to eliminate God. And we see that that is so true of our culture. Over the last decades, there's been a concerted, strong, unfortunately successful effort to get God and any references to him and his standards and all that out of the public eye. To be honest, most people would love to just get rid of it, not just out of the public eye ungodliness. Our world is very ungodly. It's going to be becoming more and more all the time. God is no longer a vital part of our government, our education, or other part of our culture. And unfortunately, that can begin to creep in our own lives. Paul says we need to get rid of that. And God's grace can help us to do that. He talks about worldly passions. Passions meaning desires. You know, the desires we have primarily in and of themselves are good things. God created us with desires, okay? Where it becomes a problem is when our desires begin to take over and we take them too far. I mean, just real simple, you know, the desire to eat is a good thing. If we didn't have it and we didn't eat, we'd die. But if that takes over our lives, it becomes gluttony and health issues and all that kind of stuff. The desire for sex is a good thing within God's Plans and purposes. But when people give themselves over to, I want to participate that anytime, anywhere, with whoever I want, 
It destroys us. And so he says these worldly passions, the way these desires manifest themselves, especially because of our sinful human flesh, is what draws us to those desires. You know, Satan pushes us to take them beyond the limits that God has set, and we need to say no to these things in our lives. And it's tough. It's tough to go against the tide. It's tough to be a Christian in a non-Christian world, to stand up for God when it seems like most of the rest of the people around us are standing up against him. As I preached a couple months ago about living in these end times, there's such a strong push against God and his purposes and his standards and his people. And God calls us to live in that. But the good news is that God gives us the grace that we can do that. So that's the negative side, but there's a a, a positive side. We not only commit to leave the old life, but we commit to live the new life. The new life. And there's a lot of things that involves, he just mentions three here. He says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It takes a lot of self-control to live for God in the midst of the world that we live. And especially when we got that sinful flesh on the inside battling us from the inside out. But it just comes down to living a life that is pleasing to God. It also involves other people because if we're going to live a life that pleases God, we're going to treat other people right. You know, it goes back to the teaching of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and Jesus emphasizes that the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. So the positive thing is we commit to live the new life, living that life that pleases God. And it's so easy to say, you know, I don't know if I can do that. The influence of this world is so strong. The influence of my sinful nature is so strong and it seems so overwhelming. And you know what? If we give ourselves over to that kind of a mindset, it's so easy to come up with reasons and excuses why we can't do what we know we're supposed to do and why we do what we know we're not supposed to do according to God's standards and God's desires for our life. It is difficult to live for God. You're not going to do it by accident. You're not going to do it by just floating through life. It takes determination. It takes discipline. I came across this statement a number of years ago, and it's not an easy thing to commit to, but we need to. And that statement is this. We need to stop making excuses and start making progress. Because as long as we're willing to make excuses, we won't make progress, or at least not very much. I just want to anchor something in your mind today, and that is according to this passage and others, God's grace can give us what we need to live for him and to get victory over sin. Amen. Now, I want to throw a little thing in here really quick because then the devil can use this truth to really beat you over the head. So how can he use this to beat me over the head? If you make a commitment, God, I really want to live for you, and I really want to have victory, and I'm going to make a new commitment, a new dedication. I'm going to go forward today, and in whatever area of life God speaks to you about, because it's different for different people. We all have different temptations that really pull at us and, and different issues we deal with. And you make that commitment, and you do so good, and then you mess up. The devil's going to come and say, see, God lied. You can't do it. You might as well give up. And that's exactly what he wants you to do. God knows our weakness. Doesn't excuse it. Doesn't excuse giving in, giving up, giving, you know, whatever. But the good news is God has a plan for that too. You know what that plan is? 
God's grace. Because he promises to forgive us when we fall. If we keep coming back, the only way we can't come back is if we don't get up. So don't let the devil do that to you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's saying because of his grace, God will give us the power to do what he calls us to do, to live the way he calls us to live, to become who he's called us to be. And we need to claim this promise. It is not impossible to live a godly life. It is not impossible to live a holy life. God will empower us to do that, to live a life that is pleasing to him and brings glory to him. My prayer is that God would do for you and to you what he has for me as I've been praying about and meditating on and preparing this message to to bring me to a new place of a new commitment. I'm so thankful I've had the privilege of knowing the Lord for 53 and a half years now. And I look back and I've come a long way. But I also have to be honest, I've got a ways to go yet. But the good news is because of God's grace and his power, I'm making progress. Sometimes it's three steps forward and fall back one. We love those times we're making ten steps forward and then we may fall back two. But the important thing is to make progress. Are you making progress? In your walk with God, however long you've known him, whether it's only been a couple of weeks or a couple of decades, Are you making progress? Have you made progress this year? And if you haven't, don't beat yourself up about it. Repent, pray over it, and say, this next year is going to be different. It's going to be different. And I encourage you to make that commitment today. The third and last one is this. We, because of God's grace, we should look forward in anticipation. Look forward in anticipation. He wraps this particular paragraph up. And by the way, in the Greek, this is all one long sentence. So, you know, if you're in school, those of you that are still in school, and your teacher, you know, corrects you for long run-on sentences and says, well, I know I need to do it different, but I've got a good example. Apostle Paul wrote tons of run-on sentences. But anyway, uh, sorry, a little sidetrack there. Titus 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's a lot of negative news out there. In fact, most news is negative because that's the news that draws people's attention. You'll see a lot of positive news. There's a lot of positive news out there too. But if we're going to be honest and we look at our lives and we look to the future... 2024 is going to have a lot of negative in it. You say, Pastor, you need to be more positive. Okay, I am positive that 2024 is going to have a lot of negative in it. I think I've told that joke too many times. Only half of you laughed. Anyway, it's the way life is. And that's true in our world and that's true in our own lives. But the negative is not what we need to focus on. I mean, each of us can make a list of the things that are going to be potentially negative in the next year, and we're not going to dig deeply into that. But there's so many things. But instead, we need to focus on the great things that we have to look forward to. 
Whatever it is that we're going to face as a nation, whatever it is we're going to face as people that live in this nation or in our world, whatever it is that we're going to face as individuals and couples and families, whatever your situation relationally is, it's going to include negative. I know that's true for me too. But that's not what I'm going to focus on. Because life includes that. We still live in a sinful, fallen world. That's one of the promises that Jesus made that we never claim. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's a promise. He doesn't want us to claim it. It's just a fact of life. But he goes on to say, but I've overcome the world. (laughs) You walk with me, you'll overcome it too. And so we look to the future in anticipation. Anticipation. Anticipation of what? Well, Paul mentions a couple of things. Just real quick, let's look at this. First of all, anticipation of Christ's return. Jesus is coming back. Now, I'm not saying he's coming back this year. He could. He could still come back this year. I mean, in the next less than 12 hours. We may not have a 2024 without Jesus coming back. He could come back before then. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back anytime. But he is coming back, and that's the thing that should encourage us, that should energize us. That he's coming back for his people. Paul says, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He he uses that word appearing, it's the same word he used back in verse 11, the appearing of God's grace. When Jesus came the first time, he came in grace, and the second time he's going to come in glory. As I was studying this, I came across this quote. I love this. It says, first, he came as a little baby born in an obscure village, and only a few people were even aware of that event. But when he comes again, angels will shout, trumpets will blow, every eye will see him, and every knee will bow before him. When he came the first time, he came to die. When he comes again, he will come to reign. When he came the first time, he came to wear a crown of thorns. When he comes again, he will be wearing the crown of king of kings and lord of lords. You see, all the stuff we got to put up with in our lives, from within, from without, in our world, there's an expiration date on it. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. So we live in anticipation of Christ's return. We live in anticipation of our final redemption. What do I mean by final redemption? Well, if we know Jesus is our Savior, we're saved. But as I, we've talked about quite a bit in this message, we're still working on stuff. We still got junk we got to get rid of. We still got progress we need to make. Well, you know what? That process isn't going to last forever. When Jesus comes back, it'll be done. It'll be done. He describes Jesus in this passage as the one who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Jesus came to redeem us. Again, going back to that salvation. To redeem means to purchase release from captivity with a ransom. God paid the price. Jesus literally paid the price for our freedom and to adopt us into his family. We were like slaves on the auction block, enslaved to our wickedness and sin. And God says, I'll buy them, not to make them my slave, but to set them free. And he did that. John 8, 36, Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that freedom comes through forgiveness of sins. I mentioned it before that when we come to him initially and ask him to forgive us, he forgives us. As we live our lives out, doing that second thing we talked about, trying to get rid of the junk and become all that God wants us to be and do what he wants us to do, 
When we fail, when we fall, he will forgive us if we keep coming back. The promise is 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I didn't put it in my notes, but Paul mentions that whatever God began in you, he's going to complete it. He will. Whatever you're struggling with, one day it will be over, so you keep on fighting. And you can look forward with anticipation that one day it will no longer be an issue. Hopefully in this life, but if not, it's only going to last so long. Because of our final redemption from our sinful nature. He says here, he wants us as a people for his own possession. I, I love that phrase because what it means to me, what it, what it seems to indicate to me is that God, Jesus, loves us so much that he didn't want us to go into eternity without him, be separated from him forever. He wants and wanted a personal relationship and wanted it so much that Jesus came and sacrificed himself to redeem us so we could have that relationship with him. And the third thing that I believe this passage is talking about is anticipation of fulfilling our purpose. In other words, when Jesus saves us, we have a relationship with him. We're on our way to heaven. And he's at work in our lives and we need to cooperate with him. But he doesn't want us to sit around and twiddle our thumbs and wait for him to come back. He's got something he wants us to do. And as we do what he calls us to do, there's such joy and fulfillment. There's struggles along the way too. There's difficulties. It's going to be a battle. But there's so much joy and fulfillment to doing what he's called us to do and fulfilling his purpose for our lives. And he mentions it in this passage when he talks about the end result of all this and what he's trying to do. And by his grace, he wants a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That word zealous means passionate. And those good works don't mean just trying to store up a big list of everything I'm doing right. It means I'm living for God and doing stuff for Him. I'm doing what He's called me to do. I'm making a difference in my world. I'm making a difference in my church. I'm making a difference in my family. I'm making a difference in my workplace, in my school. I'm having an influence on the people that are around me because I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. We don't just sit around waiting for him to come back. God has created and called each and every one of us to play a role in his plan and in the building of his kingdom. And that's that's a whole topic, message, series of messages all by itself that each of us needs to find our place and what it is that God wants us to do. But let me just tell you that it is something you need to pray about and examine your heart and maybe get some counsel on. But the most important thing you need to realize is that God wants to use you where you already are. Okay? Don't get so caught up with what does God want to do with me in the future? What other environment might he want me, want to use me? Like some other job, some other occupation, or whatever I'm going to be doing a year from now. Just know that God wants to use you right where you are right now. Now, okay? So focus on that. God, what do you want me to do in my family today? Some of that goes back to the second thing of saying no to myself when I want to blurt out those words, you know? God wants to use you today in your home, in your workplace, in your school, 
in your neighborhood, in the lives of the people, some of whom maybe you've never met before, but you're going to come across them, and God's going to just open a door for maybe a conversation. But God wants to use you. And we have that anticipation. Because of God's grace in our lives, God will use us to extend his grace to the people around us. So as we wrap this up, I just want to ask you, where are you today? Again, the end of the year, people are, some anyway, and I'm asking you today, at least for this next little bit, to look at your own heart. Where are you? What's brought you to where you are? Good things, bad things, whatever. Don't dwell on the bad things. Where have you been? Where are you going? Where does God want you to go? What does God want for your life? How might he want you to change? What is he wanting you to do? These are all great questions. And I would just say to you that as we summarize and wrap this up, because of the grace of God, we need to look back in appreciation for his salvation and all the other blessings that he has granted us in our life because we've responded to him. We need to look inside in commitment, dedicating ourselves to live for God, seeking to please him in every area of life. That will mean some changes. We got to get rid of some stuff. We got to get some stuff in. We got to get some good stuff that's already there, but it's got to grow. You know, we got to train. You know, when you're in training, you got to use some self-control, some self-discipline. You got to eliminate some stuff and bring some stuff into your life. And spiritually speaking, we got to do that. And we need to look forward in anticipation of the great future that God has for us. We're going to face some difficulties this next year as individuals, as families, as a church, as believers in this world. But God has great things in store. We need to focus on that. We need to be excited about what God's going to do this year in our lives, what he's going to do through our church and what he's going to do in his kingdom in spite of the opposition of the enemy. Jesus is coming back for us. It may not be this year or next year. But he's coming back. And he's going to complete what he started in us. But in the meantime, he has something for us to do. Do we know what that is? Are we investing ourselves in that? I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to invite our elders, our pastoral staff, any prayer team members that are here. If you would come down front. And we're going to end this service as we often do with a time of prayer. You may be here today and totally irrespective of the fact that it's the last day of this year. Or maybe there's something in your life that is because it's the last day of your year. Whatever it is, but you have a need. And you'd like somebody to pray with you. And we want to invite you as the worship team leads us in some worship to come forward. You can share what that need is, but you don't have to. You can share as much or as little, not too much because we want to pray, of what's going on in your life. And we want to pray with you. Or maybe you are carrying a burden for somebody else you care about and you'd like somebody to pray with you for that person. That would certainly be appropriate also. But I would also say that if you are here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, right now is a great time to do that. And we would invite you to come and we would love to pray with you to do that. So let's take a couple of moments to do that. Come, we'll pray for you. Worship. Ask God, Lord, how does this apply to my life? Make new commitments, whatever it is that God's laid on your heart. And in just a couple of moments, one of us will come and close in prayer. Lord, today as we 
leave this place. We ask you, God, that you will go before us. Protect us and keep us safe, oh God. Let your grace and your mercy cover us anew every day. Father God, we pray that as we step into this new year, that we would step into new, 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 new overflow, new ways of worship, new, new on our job, new in our family, new in our community. Father God, we ask that you will begin to do a new in us, a freshness, a fresh wind. Father God, draw us back to you if we have drifted away, oh God. We pray, Lord, that your grace would abound and abide with us. Oh God, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. It's in your name, Jesus. We ask all these things and we all say amen and amen. We pray as you leave and you go out into the mission field that God will go with you and he'll be right there with you. Don't forget that. We love you. God bless you. And we pray we see you next week. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 